This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Hello, this is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, your host for The Voice of Leadership and Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership. Today, we are talking about how to prepare leaders for the executive role. And this is so important because you, as an executive, are in a position to now prepare those who are coming behind you to best serve in that capacity. And what I would say about preparing executives for leadership, it's all a part of your succession planning, and none of this happens by accident. It's done with intention and with purpose. And you might be thinking, well, I've got people who are working for me and I'm preparing them for the executive role, but they're not going to succeed me. They're not going to take my job. And that may be true. You are preparing executives for the entire organization. You don't know where those individuals may land or where they will end up. When you see talent, you want to build that talent, give that person every opportunity to excel and to grow so that later they're able to step into an executive role or even for the organization to create one that doesn't exist today, though meets the skills, the talents, the gifts of the executive person and is of high value to the organization, even though you don't have it just yet. So think broader, think enterprise-wide. It's not just about you. It's not just about your replacement. It's developing a high level of bench strength with the people who are reporting to you and who are coming behind you. So I have seven things I'd like to share about ways to prepare someone to enter the executive suite. The first way, and we know a lot about this, is to be thrown into some important and significant jobs. So as you look at each person who's working for you, think about what is the skill they most need to learn next. And if there is a job that would help them to learn the skill, find a way to get them to that position so that they can learn on the job. Sometimes you won't be able to put a person in a whole new job and they won't need to go into a whole new job. However, you add some developmental opportunity in the job that they currently have. So perhaps there's a task that you give them, a project that requires them to think strategically or from an enterprise-wide perspective or with the big picture so that therefore they learn that skill. Or perhaps it's an opportunity where they have a number of team members And it's impossible for them to learn all the areas of expertise themselves. And so therefore, they have to learn to rely on the team members in order to succeed. And this is often one of the most difficult transition points in moving from operational roles to executive roles is recognizing you're not mired in the day-to-day always anymore. You're thinking 
at a much higher level on a consistent basis. So whatever kinds of jobs, positions, and opportunities that you find or that you can create so that those who you are preparing, they have a chance to learn whatever skill they need to learn in order to be ready. Number two is what I would say is to provide the person with high quality feedback. So often people are not getting feedback both about what they do well and also about what they might need to work on because perhaps rather than being a strength, it's a development need. High quality feedback includes both sides of that equation. You want to give a person both. You also want to make sure that that feedback is behavioral. It is measurable, it's actionable. In other words, you'll say, well, you did a great job yesterday. Uh, Keep up the good work. Well, what was great about it? What did they do? Yesterday, when you gave that briefing to the senior level staff and you had three significant slides that captured everything, they weren't cluttered, they were clear, all the main points were present. You kept your comments short, you left room for them to ask questions, and then you summarized at the end. All of those things are exactly what we need because executives don't have a lot of time to hear a whole lot of the backstory if they haven't asked for it. So you gave them exactly what they needed. Now, when you share something that's a little more detailed like this, they know that whatever it was they did, they have the specifics of what made it effective, what made it successful, what made it work. And then you might also add, and I saw people nodding as if they understood it. And the questions you got made sense. It reflected that people had heard what you had to say. And you even got an invitation to come and speak to another entity about the same subject. So those are impacts from whatever that person did. That's the kind of feedback you want to give them so they can see when did it happen? What did I do? And what impact did it have? And likewise, the same thing is true if it was just the opposite side of the coin. And let's say it was a development area instead of a strength. Well, I noticed that for that 10-minute presentation, you had 30 slides. They all had very dense text on them in a very small font. There was no way anyone could really read them. And you don't want people reading your slides while you're there presenting And so I'm thinking there probably would have been a way maybe to streamline that so people wouldn't be so overwhelmed or so lost. And then I noticed that when people ask questions at the end, they had missed the main points of your presentation. So they didn't get the emphasis because they got so lost in all of the other details. So I have the feeling that if you were to do this a little differently next time, there may be some different kinds of impacts and results. So how could you streamline next time? That's a question you might ask them and have them help give some examples of what they might do differently in order to engage the audience better. And you can even say, how else might you engage the audience the next time around? Perhaps in this example, the person was strictly giving a lecture and there was really no two-way kind of a dialogue along the way. So this high-quality feedback is very specific. It gives a person something that they can see so they know what to shift and what to change the next time around. People who don't get high-quality feedback have a tendency to repeat the same errors over and over again because they're not aware that there's a problem or that there is an error. And another thing I would say is that 
women and in particular and people of color are the least likely to get this kind of feedback in the workplace. It appears that people are afraid sometimes to give feedback to those who may be different from themselves. So I would say again, if you have people reporting to you and who you are developing, who are persons of color, who are women, make sure that they also get feedback, not just the ones who are most like you. And the question, and we've talked about this before, that often comes up is, how much of the positive I give them because shouldn't they know that already? Isn't that a part of their job? Here's what we know. You get more of what you focus on. So the more positive feedback that you give for something that's going right, the more likely you are to increase that kind of behavior in your workplace. So in general, you want to be thinking about four times as often. You want to be sharing with someone something they're doing well, what's going right with this behavior, and let them know if they continue in that vein, that will be beneficial to the organization. Only one time out of, let's say, four or five, do you want to be saying something that is more on the development end. That's not to say you hide feedback. If somebody needs more feedback on the development side, by all means, you give that. At the same time, I challenge you, tune up your powers of observation. Look for what they're doing right, even in the sea of things that may need to be corrected and make sure to call out those right things at a high level so that the person understands that they are in some areas moving in the right direction. So that's number two, provide high quality feedback. And I would say on a regular basis, every week, as opposed to at review time only, and your review is only going to be once or twice a year. When the review time comes, there should be no surprises. The person should already know what you are going to talk about because you've been giving this feedback all along and all throughout the year. Number three, I would say visibility with executives. In order to learn how to operate with executives, your people need to be around executives and to experience how they think, how they operate, and very importantly, to build relationships with people who are at the executive level. Because when it comes time for selection and promotion and new opportunities, executives often look to people they already know and who they've seen operate in a context. So you want to make sure that your people are in task forces and meetings, or they've been assigned mentors, other people besides you, for visibility and for additional relationships so they continue to learn and continue to be known and to get to know others. So that visibility and relationships are very important so far as being with other executives and just absorbing the ethos of the culture and how do executives relate to each other when they're in these meetings and they're considering specific topics that have an enterprise-wide impact. Number four, I would say, is to provide and create strategic decision-making opportunities. Now, again, I mentioned the task forces earlier or the extra duties that you've assigned them so that they have more of a strategic perspective. 
in those situations, there will be opportunities to weigh in and make decisions. Well, that's great exercising of a muscle that's going to be important, and that is making strategic decisions in the executive role. Likewise, I encourage you to bring your people in at times so that they can hear how you're thinking about a decision that's on your plate at the executive level, and you want them to learn how to think through the options, the choices, the downstream implications. If I do this, then what's going to happen next? They've got to anticipate multiple moves down the line on the chessboard. And so have them sit with you and hear your process and how you would think through it and involve them to the extent that makes sense and to the extent that they have some experience and say, here's what I'm thinking about this, or here's the dilemma, and what are the issues? What would you think about? What are the considerations to keep in mind about this particular decision? This way, again, they're exercising important muscles that they will have to use in their executive role. And this rolls into number five, which is just about strategic perspective in general, not only just the decision-making part that they'll have to engage in, but just to have a strategic lens over whatever is being talked about. So often when people move into the executive ranks, they're so accustomed to thinking about their part of the business and their silo that that's what they focus on is their functional area. So whatever their functional area is, as an executive, they must learn to think about how does that function serve the whole enterprise? What is it that I need to hear from my peers and my colleagues about how that function is working at the enterprise level? And what are some of the decisions and choices that we as a company need to make regardless of what my particular silo is? So you're not there at the executive meeting just to advocate for your science department that you're leading or to advocate for engineering or to advocate for sales or whatever department may be, you are there to meet and match minds with your peers and your superiors about what's best for the company and what's next. Yes, that includes your silo. It includes everybody else's silo too. And you're really building something beyond the silos when you think with an enterprise-wide lens. So you want to provide, again, opportunities for your person to think in those ways, to think of the whole enterprise and not just themselves. Number six, I think it's really important to give those people who you are developing an opportunity to test drive the executive role every so often. So let's say you've got a planned absence. You're going to be out of town and on a business trip. You're going to be on vacation. That's a wonderful time to put that person in your role. Have them make the tough decisions and do what you would do day to day. Go to the meetings that you would go to so they can see what is it like a day in the life, a week in the life, a month in the life of my executive leader. Nothing like the practice and the test drive time to really get a feel for what's involved. And when you come back from wherever you are in this planned absence, do sit down and find out what did they experience while you were gone? What did they learn on the test drive? 
And what questions do they have? What was the surprise about the experience? Next time, what would they do different based on what they learned and experienced this time around? So have this conversation to further explore what they got out of the experience and how they're taking that forward to the next experience. Ask them what was easy about it, what was challenging, or what was difficult. What did they learn about what else they need to learn more about? There's always a learning agenda. And when you're test driving, you get to figure out, okay, what is it that I already know? What is it that I need to know that I don't already know? So you want to make sure that you have those conversations on the back end so that the learning is not wasted about what they got out of the test drive experience. Number seven, I would just broadly call consultation. And this is consultation that could be for sure with you as their first line executive leader. You're there to be a consultant to them as they're considering options, ways to move forward. They can be even more strategic about how they're running the operational part of the business that they're running. And so as you listen to them and as they share with you conundrums or things they're thinking, you can function as a consultant. You can ask good questions. You can weigh in and get them to think about aspects that maybe they're not even thinking about yet because your line of questioning gets them in a different area and a different category. Likewise, they may have some additional mentors, other executives who are in the company who can also provide perspective, give them introductions to other people, and help them think about what it is like to be an executive. So they can also have other people they consult with who may have a different perspective or Just add to the multiple lenses to which you can see the same issue. You also will be a coach. And as a coach, as I mentioned, you're asking good questions and you're helping that person to think beyond what they would naturally think of themselves. And there may be others in the organization who will also be coaches for those people who you are developing. So you want to think about that. Where might they need some additional coaching who might be good at providing it in a particular area. And also, remember, there is the external advisor, the external coach as well, who can come alongside your person at a high level where you may not have time to do all of that. And maybe there's some personal things that this executive-to-be needs to work on. Perhaps it's issues of confidence that they're dealing with or issues of perfectionism or whatever it might be, and they might feel more comfortable talking to someone else who's not necessarily their direct boss or supervisor about some of those more personal issues that they do need to address in order to be more effective in the executive role. So outside advisors, consultants, and coaches are also valuable for that purpose. Some of the key competencies that will be addressed by any of these people, mentors, coaches, advisors, other consultants, you yourself would be, as we mentioned before, gaining a strategic perspective, setting priorities when the plate is full and there's so much to do and it's all not going to get done today. Delegation, learning how to delegate to others 
without doing two extremes, without just dumping on people and disappearing so that they feel abandoned, and also delegating without micromanaging so that you drive people crazy. So it's being able to delegate and keep in touch at the appropriate level for the person that you're delegating to. Some people need a bigger, higher touch and others do not. Some already have that content nailed. They know what they're doing. They just need you to be available for consultation periodically. Whereas in other cases, someone's doing something for the first time. It's new to them. They may need more touch points. But the bottom line is you delegate and you stay in touch at the level that makes sense for the task and the person being delegated to. So as you're learning delegation skills, you're learning to work through other people who have skills and abilities. They're extending their reach through the arms and the hands and the feet of others on the team or who may be on other teams and yet who are bringing expertise to whatever the issue is. And without this, it's difficult to be an executive because your scope is going to be so wide at that point. You can't personally know everything. You can't run everything yourself. You do need others who are prepared and who lead and who you continue to develop so that you can delegate more and more. So delegation is really important as one of the skills to teach and to expose the leaders to who are going into executive roles. I also think one of the transitions that's hard is rising above the day-to-day operations and above the tactical work that many people will be accustomed to doing. And it's hard because they know this work, they're very comfortable with it, and so when it's tough on a given day, they want to default back to their comfort zone, what they know already and what they're already good at. And the reward systems have already been set in place. They're getting rewarded for that operational and technical expertise and behavior. So it's important to help that executive in training to start to get rewarded by the strategic work that they will need to do. And sometimes they'll have to put their own rewards in place and their own reward systems as they may not naturally exist in the organization. And other times it's just learning how rewards work at the strategic level and training themselves to learn the new skills so that they can benefit from those rewards as well. It's always easier to do what you've always done than to move forward, learn something new, and maybe execute imperfectly until you get a better handle on it. So I think definitely working with people on that is important. And whatever else they need to deal with at the individual level, as I already mentioned, perfectionism, confidence, and other concerns of that nature. So I would just review quickly that the seven items that are important to keep in mind as you're preparing people for the executive role is number one, put them in jobs and experiences and in roles that will teach them more of the executive skills. Number two, provide high quality feedback, often feedback that is both positive, what they're doing well, what's the impact of that, Also, what's a development need that they need to work on and what's the impact of how they're doing things now. And you want this to be on a weekly basis, not just once or twice a year. Number three, provide high visibility 
with other executives in the organization, whether that be through task forces, meetings, mentors, and so on, so that they have additional relationships, so that when people are thinking about roles and who should be in them, they know this person and that person's name would come up. Number four, providing strategic decision-making opportunities, having them to sit down and to have to make some decisions at that strategy level based on the task forces they're on or the extra duties that you've assigned and what they're doing there. Don't just make all the decisions for them because you are the executive. Get that executive muscle working in their brains as well. And number five, share a strategic perspective often and on a regular basis. Bring them into how you are thinking about something that you do have to decide and that's on your plate and get their ideas on it as well so that they get a little bit of practice. And number six, let them test drive the executive role. When you're absent, put them in charge for a period of time and let them run the show. And then you get to hear how it went and what they learned on the back end and what they need to do differently the next time. And number seven is provide multiple levels and layers of consultation, whether that be through you, through others in the organization who might be mentors and or coaches, and then external consultants, coaches, and mentors as well, so that they regularly and through multiple channels are learning that strategic perspective, the priority setting, delegation, rising above the tactical, how to do that, the ability to work through other people, getting out of the operations themselves, and dealing with whatever they need to deal with personally, confidence, perfectionism, or whatever it may be. So I hope that you understand that you are in the executive role, not just for you, also to benefit those who come behind you and who need to learn what you are learning, have already learned, and what you know. So always keep a developmental lens in mind about those who are coming behind you in the organization and providing opportunities for them. When I think about this from a biblical context, I think that Paul was an excellent developer of Timothy. He referred to and thought of Timothy as his son in the faith. And as his son, he was always speaking some words of encouragement and wisdom to him, giving him a blueprint of how to be successful running a church and how to do it when people around him were older than he was, how to treat them, how to get things done. And I just want to read one brief piece in here in Paul's second letter or the second epistle of Paul to Timothy. And this is in the first chapter, starting with verse three. And Paul says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 
couple of things out of this that I think are important. As a person of faith yourself, you can also pray for those who are your protégés in the workplace, who you know are facing some daunting challenges and circumstances as they are learning the executive role before they get there. And then you want to remind them that they do have gifts, that they do have talents that can be stirred up for the benefit of those in the workplace. And just as Paul was reminding Timothy of his legacy and his family through his grandmother and through his mother, you can remind your protégés about their legacy of leadership in the company, the journey they've had already, from whence have they come, what have they already accomplished, how have they positively impacted the organization. And if you know about their family, and their family history. Maybe they came from an entrepreneurial family. Maybe they came from a long line of leaders. Maybe they didn't come from any of that, yet they have figured out how to lead anyway. Remind them of that journey, what they've learned along the way, and that there's more to come, and they are ready and prepared to learn the next chapters and the next lessons. And one of the things that Paul says is that God didn't give the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So always share with your people how they can show and exercise and exude love in the workplace, how they can walk courageously into the scenarios and situations that they need to face in the workplace. And if your protege is a believer they have supernatural power. They also have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and you can remind them of that power that they have in God that resources them every single day at work. So I hope that you will take this role very seriously as you develop and prepare the next level for executive leadership, people to fill your shoes as well as the shoes of others in your company. Thank you, and I'll see you next time. Hi, it's Dr. Karen here, and I want to tell you about my book, which is called Lead Yourself First, the Senior Leader's Guide to Engaging Your People for Greater Performance and Impact. It's a book to inspire you about the challenges that you have overcome and the vision that you've realized in your life. It's from these struggles, triumphs, and temporary setbacks that others will be inspired and that they will have the courage to lead themselves first and also to lead others. In the first chapter, which is called Envision the Future, I talk about the rocky education path that I had to forge and overcome to realize my vision to become a psychologist. And that was all the way from elementary school straight through graduate school. There were obstacles, the path wasn't easy. And yet, entering graduate school with only $30 in the bank, I ended up finishing graduate school with no debts. When you walk step-by-step step in the vision, even when it doesn't look like where you want to be, Doors open and resources come to you because you hold the vision and you keep walking. So here's what I wanted to say to you. 
Lead Yourself First. This book will walk you through your journey as you go through the open doors and as you continue to walk, just like I walked through mine. So get your copy of Lead Yourself First. Hold the vision for yourself and your life and be successful. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.